Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 222nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Kevin O'Brien and Tamara. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have John Kroll on the podcast. He is the executive producer of Uncharted. It's the new season of the Gordon Ramsay show where he travels around the world and eats food and meets people and does all sorts of crazy adventures. And he is not new to unscripted television. He was a producer on The Amazing Race, on Big Brother, on so many different shows. He's also a professor at USC, which, uh, you know, we're not going to hold against him. Fight on John. Yeah, he's a a professor at the Peter Stark uh, producing program, which is a very prestigious one. But, you know, this is a really special episode because we don't talk to a ton of unscripted producers or directors, and he is a wealth of knowledge. So, you know, in editing this episode, I just was like, dang, I want to do more unscripted. This is so fun. And you're just constantly reminded of all the cool adventures that like a, a unscripted producer gets to go on. You know, like I think he uses the term adventure director in in reference to the person who directs all of their episodes. Um, And I think it's totally apt. They're like out there traveling the world, doing all the crazy stunts and trying all the crazy food that Gordon Ramsay does before Gordon gets there to make sure that it's not completely disgusting or dangerous. It's a pretty cool life. And would you say that in Unscripted, the producer is kind of directing a lot of it as well? Like that they're more involved in the creative, even in how it's shot and how it's paced and all those things than maybe in more scripted stuff where the director has a little bit more of a... A little bit more say, yeah. I mean, look, it's television, and so the writer-producer is the, you know, master of that environment. So I think certainly the director is more is closer to the dp than they are the story producer in terms of their creative input right so it's still very important and you know they're out there kind of calling the shots and directing a team um but the story elements i think are are definitely in the domain of the producer and their team right yeah no this was such a fun talk we don't have not talked to a ton of professors and What's great about talking to a professor is they know how to educate while they tell stories. And so Mm -hmm. I think everyone listening to this is really going to get a lot out of it. Yeah, so I can't wait to talk to 
John about all of his crazy adventures and in, his insight. And also, he talks a lot about how to sell an unscripted show. So if you've got an idea for a, an unscripted show, he has some genuinely invaluable down and dirty advice on how to do it. Spoiler alert, your idea is not worth that much. <laughs> <laughs> but also he talks about how to make it worth yes. a lot more. Oh, yeah. But you got to listen to it. It's really worth uh, worth checking out. Um, but before we talk to John, yes, uh, Oren, yes. I am dying to know what you have been working on lately. Well, I have uh, been kind of working on a lot of things. It's, you know, still COVID times and it's, a very weird week in COVID times. We try to avoid talking about it because things change every week. But the assumption, I think, up until last week was that they are changing for the better. Is that like we learn more about the virus. We learn more about how things are going to shake out. We come up with plans of how we're going to deal with it. And all of us are kind of looking at the date when we will be back on set filming. Back in action. Yeah. Yet this last week has been like a giant step backwards. There's like 22 states whose cases and percentage positives are are growing and i know we're testing more but anyway everything's been brought into question uh so i've been involved in a few different projects and they're all various stages of weird i did one commercial totally remotely where uh everyone was at home like all the whole crew even our art uh department basically which was one person uh, she mailed all the art stuff to the actress who was also the DP and the, you know, did everything, shot it herself. Um, well, just, I, I know, but like, let's actually, maybe for people at home who aren't quite so tuned in, you meet literally the actor is the only person on set. So they are setting all of the lights. They're setting up the camera. They are setting all of the art. And I, you sent me actually the document that you sent the actress and it shows how to frame each one of the shots and like the the kind of the wide almost diagram style shot to show you like this is where the light goes this is how i'd like for you to mount the uh the camera and then also how to uh, relay that image to the rest of the team so that we can see what the camera sees all of that stuff is very meticulously planned out because the actor is literally the only person who can touch or anything or, or be in the space and they're literally shooting in their home. Yeah. One of the things we did was we set up the, we gave her like a spider light with a, you know, big mm-hmm. chimera on it. And we set it up on a C stand with the ballast connected, with the light rigged, with the chimera on everything. Like all she had to do is plug it into the electricity and we put it on her porch. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's same with, we had a stand with a microphone, a boom pole and a microphone. And she had to like extend the boom pole but everything else was set up. So it wasn't like she had got all these Pelican cases, but for art, we had like 12 different bins and our art director said, would say, okay, bin two has all the kitchen appliances in it. Like, let's put the mixer on this counter. Let's put the, whatever the toaster oven on the back. Oh, that's counter. funny. Cause I, I noticed that mixer and I was like, oh, that's a good color choice for the mixer. Way to go actor for just having good taste, not realizing that you sourced it. Yeah, and so, yeah, like you said, my diagram, every shot was, here's what the shot is, and here's a shot of my setup. Yeah, this is how you achieve said shot, yeah. And I and everything I did was totally by myself. Like, I didn't have my wife or anyone help me because I wanted to make sure that we were asking mm-hmm. her to do things that she could do by herself without any help. Yeah, it's hard enough, you know, you, you talked about, like, the chimera being set up on the spider and then her just bringing it in, but that's something where, like, you and I would recognize if 
you know, as you're pulling the light into the house that like, oh, one of the spines gets adjusted funny or like it gets knocked out of place. But it would be very reasonable for a person who doesn't have to trouble themselves with those lights to not to literally not even know that something is wrong ever, basically, you know. Yeah. And it would be hard for anyone who's working remotely to be keeping an eye on all of the kind of tiny little details of the gear, you know, a ballast gets knocked or a knob gets turned or, you know, because the, the white balance on your webcam, for instance, is constantly trying to adjust it for itself. So you can't really, the things that you would do in real life to just like use your eye or even like whip out a light meter or something, um, they don't have. Yeah. And we couldn't actually see where the light was or for a while, you know, even though she's like a professional actress that's been on many seasons of a TV show, she, you know, is not trained in boom mic placement. And yeah. so the, even those things, I was like, where is the microphone? And she's like, oh, it's like over there. I'm like, oh, no. Like, can we rotate it here and point it here and do this? Mm-hmm. And you're just like listening as hard as you can to like see. But you're, you're probably not. No, even we're not even the hearing the, the sound. It's so right. crazy. Right. And even like when Ugh. she's like raising a light, I'm like, oh, no. Can you go uh, down one knuckle on the C stand? Yeah. The level of. <laughs> mediation of like filtration and processors trying to make an image look good and compensate mm-hmm. between those levels is just makes your job so hard did uh did you have a dp on the virtual call as well was there someone keeping an eye on lighting with you or no no i mean there's so just, you're juggling everything basically. yeah there's like normal people that are like oh that doesn't look good or there's a glare here or something you know like just normal producers client stuff. people yeah, non yeah. non-technical people right yeah. But yeah. I did actually, the, we rented the light from Yuki, this DP I work with a lot, and I did send him a few screenshots, and I said, hey, what do you think about the lighting? Like, if if this was, if you were mm-hmm. shooting this. How do I fix this, or yeah. how do I plus this, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, he'd always be like, well, why are you shooting this angle? I'm like, yeah, that's not what I'm asking you. <laughs> um, Come on, bro. Yeah. Uh, that's really funny. But uh, Well, I. Yeah. That's crazy. That I can't wait for this spot to come out, but we're also burying the lead, Oren, because I think there's another adventure that you were on literally right now. Yes. You are not in Silver Lake, California as we speak. No, I am you in were in Silver Lake, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> or Nulu, I think is the name of this neighborhood. And yeah, I didn't even really realize when I was flying out here that it's a little bit of like a hotbed of news at the moment political unrest yeah so set the table for people tell like no one knows where you are what's going on so i'm in kentucky i'm filming a commercial for the kentucky lottery which you've also done matt's also been here originally the agency had sold the lottery an idea which was um it it takes place in a supermarket where a lot of lottery commercials take place because that's where you buy lottery tickets and the idea that they had sold was they were flirting with the idea of doing it all CG, like CG characters and all visual effects, and they would just shoot plates, and it would be an Mm -hmm. all-Kentucky crew, and they're allowed to shoot to be up to 10 people together as long as everyone's masked, and they would shoot the plates, and then they just kind of needed a director that, like, understood visual effects and CG to kind of figure it out. So um, I was, like, one of the people on their list to talk to about that, and and I... Did a lot of research. I actually talked to one of our listeners, Colin Levy, who is like a blender genius and has done a lot of that stuff. And 
he more or less convinced me that on the budget we had, there was absolutely no way. <laughs> and, you know, like even a South Park level like animation would probably be difficult to pull off for the amount of money and time that we had to do it. And so in my treatment, I kind of did some of my own animation, just messing around. So anyway, so uh, when I wrote my treatment for the CG character thing, I mentioned that I thought we could do a live action version with mm-hmm. one actor uh, still keeping all the social distancing, basically the same number of crew and everything as this plate version, except we could actually have like acting and and I right. showed them what I thought like the best version of the CG could look like on the budget and the time, which I actually thought was not that bad. But they ended up saying like, well, let's just do this live action thing with all these CG elements around right. it. So then it became this question of should I go to the shoot because there was still this option for me to shoot remotely. And so I did the location scout remotely where they had a, a camera guy with a GoPro connected to like uh, FaceTime. I don't know. Some It was like this whole crazy mm-hmm. complicated video thing. And it worked. It's like a Justin TV sort of situation. Yeah, exactly. It was like kind of like a live webcam. But and then he had like a 5D or like a 60D connected also that he could to his computer. They could switch back and show me photos and. It was good, but it was not like, you know, we know what it's like to be on set. We can barely get anything right. done when everyone's working at full force, let alone. Right, right. And when the idea of being like, hey, can you just take a two inch step to the right? Yeah. No, not sorry. My right. Not your right. Yeah. yeah. If that's like a 15 minute conversation and then someone going back and forth and like showing you the DSLR and unplugging things and this and that. And hold on, I got to swap a battery. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this would have been literally a 15 second change. Oh yeah. The battery on the laptop died twice while we were doing this one hour scout too. All of which is still a good idea, but just not the same basically. Yeah. And it depends on the nature of the project. Like the thing I did totally remotely was kind of like this fake cooking show where the actor is just kind of looking at the camera. It's very presentational it's not very cinematic. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. You know, it's easy to shoot because it's like just it's not that much coverage. It's designed for the circumstances that yeah. we're living in. This yeah. one was more like this woman running around a supermarket um, doing all these various things. Mm-hmm. So it's got like a genre element to yeah. it as well. And yeah, it, it, so it, I just couldn't figure out. And I I'm the type of director I think most directors are where like I really like to be in the location and I like to find the best angle and I like to be a little spontaneous about it and say like like be open to opportunities like oh look over here what if we put the camera here Mm -hmm. down here up Mm -hmm. here and so I was just got really worried that I wouldn't be able to pull it off from a distance and so I talked to my wife and I talked to the producer and I talked to everyone and I said yeah I think I'd like to come Uh, I'm would be the only person flying in like the DP, the whole rest of the crew is local to Kentucky or Cincinnati. And, um, we have, so so I flew here. Um, I did a little survey on Facebook of probably of the most COVID aware airlines that people would recommend and Delta more or less one. There aren't a ton of, there are not a ton of airlines that fly from LAX to Louisville, Mm -hmm. pretty much Delta Mm -hmm. and American. Um, and everyone said Delta was like a hundred times better than American. They leave metal seats open. Everyone's masked, fully masked it's re- is required. So I felt okay about it. Um, but my family and kind of the people we interact with did not feel that good about it. So basically aside from like taking all these precautions, like wearing an N95 mask on the plane and being fully masked 
on set, of course, uh, and not eating indoors anywhere. I mean, food is probably been, was the most challenging thing. When I got to mm-hmm. Kentucky, I got to my hotel at 10 p.m. and there was nowhere open to right, eat. Right. Well, and you're also traveling from, you know, L.A. is still a hot spot, right? Yeah. And so uh, the level of precaution that we are taking and the lifestyle that we are leading, I think, is different than other communities where the virus hasn't been quite so present, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Um, but people here in Kentucky seem to be taking it pretty seriously. The governor, Andy Bashir is very right. serious yeah. about it. Um, I really knew almost nothing about Kentucky before I came here. Uh, so I came here on Tuesday, June uh, 23rd. It was a day of a primary election, and which was a, kind of a lot in the news because it was Amy McGrath, who's one of this very amazing like uh, fundraiser for the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. was running. She had a, a campaign video that went viral, yeah. kind of a while ago. She was the first female fighter pilot to fly in the uh, Air Force, um, but then with kind of the Black Lives Matters protests and all these new social movements. There's a new guy, Charles Booker, that has kind of, mm-hmm. he's only 35 years old, and he's really been at the protest, been arrested, standing next to everyone, and really kind of lit the fire and passion of the Kentucky and Democratic people. Uh, and as we record this today on Thursday, we still do not know who won the mm-hmm. primary election, but because of COVID, you know, the polling stations in Jefferson County, where Louisville is, went from 600 polling stations to one polling station. And who did that and why is, like, controversial, I think, some... Yeah. You've seen a lot of videos of people waiting in line when the polls get shut down and they're just stuck outside, basically. Yeah. But then a lot of people voted by mail here, which Mm -hmm. is a brand new thing. People here never voted by mail, so they had, like, 400,000 mail-in ballots. I don't know. Anyway, I did not even realize... Sure, you you were flying into such a crazy yeah. environment, and this yeah. is also the city where Brianna Taylor was sure. killed yeah. by uh, police officers. So it's um yeah it, it's crazy, and um amidst the pandemic, which like we said a few minutes ago <laughs> is worsening, not getting better. So yeah, so I'm here in Kentucky, and it's just a totally different experience. There's no client dinner. The pre pro meeting is all remote. The fitting is going to be like we have a hotel conference room and the actress will be across the room for me. <laughs> uh-huh. Look at her. We're all going to be masked. Yeah. And even uh, we had a long, long call yesterday about whether she should be wearing a mask in the actual commercial because mm-hmm. she's in a supermarket. And as of today, right. you're supposed to wear masks in a supermarket in Kentucky. Well, I asked the actors if they could give me like the biggest smile they could possibly do just to see if their eyes are even yes. expressing, you know, smile with your eyes. Yeah. 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 Smizing. So my pitch was like, hey, let's just put a disclaimer that says, you know, actor portrayal, uh, you know, your mm-hmm. current uh, state regulations might require you to wear a mask or this is a dramatization mm-hmm. or this is fake or I, I don't know, something. Sure. Sure. Um, and then so now I think where, you know, we're shooting tonight overnight, but the extras that will be playing like the store workers will be wearing masks, but everyone else will not be wearing masks. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> I can see from your face. You don't know if that solution makes sense. I don't, I, that feels like maybe a funny half measure, but also I don't know what I would advocate for. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I would fight for trying to do everything twice, 
you know, like a spaghetti Western. Right. You do it in Italian and then you do it in English. Um, yeah. But, uh, but obviously with a tiny crew and a limited amount of time, you know, that's yes. a luxury that and you probably my can't afford. Very extensive shot list, of course. <laughs> sure. Um, sure. Well, did you cut it down from 65 to 60 like I recommended? Yes. Only 60 oh, shots. Good. 60 setups. Good, good, good. They're all yeah. dolly moves. They're yeah. All. You remember? Well, I mean, some of them don't count. It's like... Um, you know, the Matrix, you know, you have the bullet time camera. Oh, so yeah. it's like, you know. Yeah, we do have a 40 camera set up for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's going to be cool, though. It's going to be cool. Um, no, so I'm excited. I, I think it'll be fun and go well. Um, it's also just hard because it's a 30-second commercial, and you just have to make sure your shots are the right mm-hmm. length. And There's just all these mm-hmm. other things that stack on top of making it difficult. Yeah. Uh, the likelihood of having the time to get the shot perfect twice one with and one without the mask is pretty hard. Yeah. yeah I get you. So anyway, so that's this job. And when I fly back, I'm not going to go home because my uh, family and the people that we are interacting with uh, don't want... Your bubble. Yeah. Your quarantine my bu- bubble. My, our yeah. pod does not allow traveling. So I'm actually going to go to my parents' house in Orange County and quarantine there. And I have a mm-hmm. test scheduled for Saturday, the day after I get back covid test and then i'm going to schedule another test like three or four days later so um hopefully if they both come negative i'll be able to re-enter the pod yeah, yeah. it's crazy i don't know i'm i'm ready for a vaccine <laughs> <laughs> yeah you and me both man well cool well yeah thanks for asking i'll let you know how it goes and i do want to post that um that document that i made of like the, you know how I mm-hmm. showed what the shot is and showed how I got the shot. I think it's kind of fun. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, really it's not rocket science in any way, but sure. Um, but it, it's good to see. And also, like when you showed it to me, I was like, "Oh, I totally get this." And also, I think there's room for iteration. There's ways to be like, "Oh, maybe a top down would be helpful here," or maybe that would be more confusing, or like, you know showing maybe a shot from your point of view or like flow of document. There's a lot of stuff that I think, you know, depending on how long this lasts may need to get standardized or like is worth refining that I think is really interesting. So, yeah, I think as a director, one of my policies, I've never (laughs) said it out loud is that I would never really ask an actor to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And I think usually the same that is in terms of like, you know, uh, eating danger. bugs or da- doing something sure. dangerous yeah, or whatever. Yeah. In this specific case, it's I don't want to say, oh, just set up this type of shot, blah blah blah, without knowing that I that it's even possible. That you know, one person can do it themselves. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So, um, well, awesome, man. We'll have a good shoot. Stay safe. Uh, and if you want to support Oren and uh, <laughs> his family in this time of need, uh, you can hop over to Patreon.com/slash/JustShootItPod to support the show a little bit. It's the equivalent of buying us a cup of coffee, Uh, keeps the show going, pays for all the stuff you don't know you need to run a podcast, uh, and helps keep this show free for everyone. So if you've got a little bit of money to throw our way, we know times are tough. Um, We'll keep making the show no matter what. But if you can contribute and help the show grow, uh, please do. Patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. And if you make a pledge of $10, even if it's only for one month, we will send you a brand new just shoot it podcast hat. Yeah, it keeps the sun out of your face indoors. Or, the frankly, I'm wearing a hat right now. It keeps your hair out of your face because I haven't had a haircut yet. Oh, yeah. Hats. Uh, anyway, thanks so much, everyone. Let's hop into our conversation with John Kroll.
Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check him out. Let us know how it goes. We are on with John Kroll, producer of over 200 shows and one Emmy. How many Emmys? Just one. One? That's a pretty pretty good batting average. 0. 0.5. <laughs> <laughs> Better than ours, right? Wow. I'm no, supposed I'm to win kidding. an Emmy for every kidding. show? That's that's harsh. It's called Build, Break, Build, John. We boy, give boy. you a big compliment, then we break you down. God. And now we're going to let you sure. talk about how great you are. For well, everyone. and John, on top of all of this, you're also a professor at USC. So this is basically like $45,000 a year worth of information crammed into an hour interview. I'll do my best. Perfect. All right. I, I'm looking forward to teaching this fall like this. So. Oh, man. That's wild. Wow. Yeah. Oh, do you think, is that confirmed or is that uh, uh, what the current thinking is? And by, um, the, by like this, listeners, he means over Zoom. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's something that's being discussed at every university and at uh, USC. I know there are certain classes that must be done in person mm-hmm. uh, because they're very hands-on. And I think they're probably going to look to do as much as they can uh, not in person because that's the seems to be the mandate now is to mix in person when necessary and in smaller groups with not in person so um i can certainly my class can be done not in person it's a it's an unscripted development and pitching class so oh, look at that, that. Is awesome yeah i wanted to touch on that a little bit in this on this conversation too because i know a lot of our listeners are interested in pitching unscripted and scripted and just kind of we, we actually just in our last episode got a question from a listener more about a doc style project and how to go about getting it made. And I think, you know, nowadays it seems like you watch some of the doc stuff on Netflix, you, you know, and things like Making a Murderer and, you know, even things like Uncharted and that like the, the there's a blur between kind of what we used to call reality and what we call documentary now that seems to be meeting in the middle. Yeah, I think that the line is much blurrier between doc and and reality slash other unscripted than it is between scripted and and reality. Mm-hmm. All the talk about scripting reality, I mean, there are some shows where it's done within an inch of its life, but for the most part, there's some degree of authenticity to it. Uh, uh, so there's a lot more share between docs and reality than there is between scripted reality, I think. Well, and that's really the, the question I had for you, John, because having done like a, a little bit of that stuff myself, um, and a little bit of travel as well, seeing the stuff on Uncharted, you guys are traveling all over the world, right? And you've got Gordon Ramsay, who's like a superstar, obviously. And then also like these these kind of like these moments that feel 
like they're you know obviously there's a, a layer of planning to them right it's not like you're just going to show up and and you know see what happens so t- walk us through how pre-production and the planning of a show like this works for you i'm really lucky that i'm getting to produce gordon ramsay uncharted now sort of after having done a lot of other shows because it has helped me learn to really appreciate uh um the things i have on this show it really is a perfect show for me to be doing at this time because in a world where the spectrum of of unscriptedness of unscripted shows is all over the map mm-hmm. I have very little interest in doing overproduced, phony, uh, uh, you know, pseudo-scripted shows. I really love the authenticity. It's why I got into reality in the first place. Is I love, I, I love when you can get into moments and scenes that are better than anything you can script. Mm-hmm. And Gordon is the ultimate secret weapon in a project like that because. I can sort of put pieces in place and he enters the scene and makes gold. Mm -hmm. He really is that good. He's so savvy about it. And in some cases, the less he knows, the better. Like we'll give him a couple of bullet points to hang his hat on and then just turn him loose. You know, Mm -hmm. we'll say, make sure to ask this guy about what he learned from his mother. We'll like, we'll, we'll tee up a couple of things that we've, you know, we've done. Uh, But really most of what you see in Uncharted is Gordon interacting with these people in largely real time in a really authentic way. Do you ever have to like pause and say like, hey, we missed that line. Can you give that to us again? Or can you, Gordon, can you just re restate what you just said? I mean, he really doesn't, I hate to say it, but he doesn't miss lines. Like he, if there's, if, if they've told the whole story of, uh, I'll give an example. We In our episode in India, we we talked about the area we were in was sort of the beginnings of the spice trade 5,000 years ago. And if he forgot to mention that it was 5,000 years ago and the contributor didn't, we would just uh, we, we would just say, hey, make sure you guys mention this or whatever. But it's all done as the scene is going on. We don't ever stop. Someone will just <laughs> li- literally yell it. Make sure you mention 5,000 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Right. Because we, because because once you break that mood, it's over. You know, you want them to be having a conversation, especially because the people he's talking to are not experienced TV people. They're that they, right. for for them to forget it's a TV show, they have to just stay locked onto him. So our goal is to let that process happen. Mm-hmm. And, and and yeah. tell us about the the logistics then. Like, how many yeah. cameras are happening? Are you calling shots into like uh, a radio? <laughs> Like, how are you communicating with the team, and, and what does that team look like? Sure. Well, I'll take you back. You asked about sort of the genesis of the of the episode, so I'll take you. We do a lot of development on paper and working with local fixers to try to develop the episodes and sort of find those countries or states that we can tick a lot of our boxes with. Mm-hmm. And just to clarify, a fixer is like a local producer. That's correct. Yeah. So when we go to Indonesia, we need someone who's an expert in Indonesia, who speaks Indonesian, etc., uh, even if we go to Tasmania, we want someone who lives in Tasmania who knows where we can find it, find things, find people, mm-hmm. staffs all the local staff, drivers. We don't like to have our crew drive when they travel, just generally because there's different laws. It's not safe, so we always have drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also safer. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, at the end of a long shooting day or something like that, to have a fresh driver drive. Um, so... Yeah, we so we work with local fixers in each country who are experts in their country, um, and we're looking for places where we can find a great chef who doesn't have to be famous. They just have to be, be a good personality, passionate about their local food, and kind of like an evangelist for their country. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Someone who we know will, will educate 
Gordon about their country. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then we obviously time of year we're shooting and weather figures into it very heavily. Uh, we like sun. We don't like snow so much. We do a little bit of snow, not too much. Um, and uh, uh, is there some sort of culinary tradition? Are there some adventurous beets that we can use that will lead us to ingredients? Mm-hmm. You know, is there an herb that grows at the top of a waterfall? Or in the case of Peru, a worm that grows in a cactus that's perched out over a cliff, you know? Mm-hmm. We love those kinds of things. So anyway, once we have that it lined up on paper and we work with Nat Geo on that, we then uh, I then go out and scout and it. When you say we, is it like you have you hire researchers or you are Googling stuff? How does that work? We have episode producers who are in charge of a couple of episodes each. Mm-hmm. And then we have a core team that does everything. So the core team is me, Neil DeGroote, the director, who's two-time DGA winning superstar adventure director, and Tara Williams, who's the supervising producer, who does all the logistics of everything that we're doing. And we plug into that the episode producer who has been sort of pre-planning this. And the mm-hmm. four of us go out to the location and go to every single place that we plan to take Gordon two months before we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And we really... And you're, we, you've, you're already cast by this point in terms of like the chef at that location. We know who the chef is, but we tend to meet other people on that. Uh, uh, oh, that's you know. interesting. So there's yeah. a little bit of room to kind of like yes. riff or like be inspired and find new new opportunities. That's well, cool. and if we were to show up and the fence was was, was just a brick, uh, sorry, if we were show up and the and the chef is like a brick wall who just is not interesting, even mm-hmm. though they did a good Skype, we would then even change the chef if we wanted to. But right. that's more. We've never had to do that. Uh, we have shown up, and there have been contributors who we just don't think are going to um, add to the scene. And what we found is who the contributors in our scenes are. The contributors are is our name for any guide, local farmer, or anyone he interacts with. If what we found is there's a massive difference in the quality of the scene based upon the personality of that person. So in the, one of the biggest differences from season one to season two is attention to casting detail and really focusing on, on before we even go, let's get Skypes of the, uh, of the contributors. Then we'll go, we'll take them out for a beer. We'll talk to them about what they do. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then we'll meet people along the way who are more interesting than we could have imagined. And so we'll add them into the, the fray. Um, and so when we go do the scouts, we usually keep about 65 or 70% of what was planned. And we change the rest based on what we discover once we have boots on the ground. Yeah. Oh, it turns out this these hunting grounds are seven hours away from our hotel, mm-hmm. not two hours like we were told. You right, know, oh, right. it turns out this plane is not safe. You know, we make changes based on all those things. A lot of changes we make are for safety because um, we do some gnarly ass shit on the show and it has to be done really, really safely. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I'll do things, not everything. Gordon can do more than I can. He's in better shape than I can. But uh, to and be able to tell Gordon, oh, I did this. More right. often, I'll eat things and say, yeah, I ate that. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't oh, get sick. Hold on, the, what, what was the gnarliest thing? What was the thing you were the most worried about? Where well, you're like, we, oh, I, if I can't eat this, Gordon can't eat this, right? Well, we do eat a fair number of worms, and we eat a fair number of insects, and we eat a fair number of rats. Those are all things. We, ate, we have a couple of rats, r- r- rodent rat type rodents that we eat this year we eat a tarantula um you know uh we ate last year in laos uh, uh well you uh, ate a tarantula yeah yeah it sort was of cooked. cooked uh roasted yeah it's not roasted. raw okay yeah all right was it still hairy though right 
Uh, no, the hair burns off when you roast them. Uh, okay, then, then yeah. maybe I could yeah. deal with that. Yeah. Um, but in Laos, we ate these giant, like, beetles that they called toe biters. And then we also had stink bugs that were mashed up into a paste. And they taste like green apples, oh. surprisingly. All right. That's yeah. Wow. Um, I'm sorry. The weird tangent of, like, <laughs> eating strange food always, I can't help no. myself. Well, we always want to be authentic to the location. And when we were in Laos, we learned that 90% of Laotians eat insects. So we thought, so should Gordon. And so wow. and so, so should we. Well, don't they say everyone eats a certain number of spiders in their sleep or something? <laughs> I don't <laughs> know that statistic, but I'll take your word for it. I've Six heard spiders. that statistic. I don't think it's true. I heard it um, in elementary school. It must be true. And, and, and anyway, once we get back yeah. to these scouts, we'll... Um, uh, uh, generally, uh, Tara, Neil, and I will continue on to the next destination that we're mm-hmm. scouting. The producer will go back and they'll rework it and work with Nat Geo to make sure they're comfortable with what we're doing. So we'll at least know the kinds of things we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Now, once we actually show up a couple of days before we start shooting with Gordon and then Gordon shows up, we're willing to add new things at any time if we find something we love. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll go off on tangents sometimes that we weren't expecting to because we believe you got to 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 break a plan you have to make a plan. So we go in with a really firm plan, mm-hmm. but we're willing to 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 diverge from that if something more interesting comes along or if Gordon is just more interested in something. And what's an example of a plan? Like at 1 p.m. we're going to interview this chef, at 3 p.m. we're going to go to the farm where they get their dairy, like it like that type of like a, that type of plan. We'll generally have something we do in the morning and something we do in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And if we're having a lot of fun on our morning shoot, we may just keep going and shorten the thing in the afternoon or do it the next day. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. More often, our schedule gets changed due to weather. Mm-hmm. When we were in Alaska, we had to evacuate the area we were in because we were told that we'd be snowed in for a week if we didn't. <laughs> so... Um, we have to work with weather. That's a different show pitch, John. <laughs> Snowed in with Gordon Ramsay coming to Nat Geo. How many? Your main ingredient is snow. <laughs> now cook. Yeah. Um, I, I sorry. Going back to the scout, I was curious, John. Are you? Um, are, is the DP part of that as well? Are you looking at lighting? Uh, how are you kind of approaching the visuals of it? Sure. Well, the way that the duties of the scout are broken up is Neil DeGroote, the director, is in charge of camera. Mm-hmm. So everything camera oriented, that's uh, it is, you know, because these scouts are inordinate, you know, incredibly expensive because they're shot all over the world. There's right. a lot of air travel involved. Um the DP is not on the clock yet. You know, you'd mm-hmm. have to bring them on just for this. He represents the camera department. Our uh, episode producer is dealing with all the story uh, components of the whole thing. The uh, 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 Tara Williams, our supervising producer, is in charge of logistics, money, lodging, everything, all the magic and fairy dust that I don't have to think about, fortunately. Um, I'm dealing with things from sort of the Gordon point of view and the network point of view to make sure they're going to be happy um, with all of those elements. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately I have to, you know, the – when I talk to Nat Geo, they want to talk to one person who who they trust that says, okay, this is our plan. Trust me. I know this sounds weird, but it's going to be amazing. And um, for better or for worse, I am the one that they trust to, to do that with. <laughs> gotcha. So you're, you're kind of the adult in the room, I like to say. 
Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I mean, we have a pretty seasoned crew. Um, you can't, this is not a show for, for first timers. Sure, sure. Um, we travel with a very small team. So everyone's got to wear a lot of hats and everyone has to get their shit done. So there's, there's just, uh, there's not, there are not extra bodies. The extra bodies we pick up as part of our location unit, uh, the local people in each place, because mm-hmm. each episode is a wonderful blend of local and uh, traveling crew. Yeah, that's and are I you guys kind of starting on the scouts like on a shot list too? Is Neil DeGroot taking photos, and you're thinking like, oh, this would be a nice drone shot. This is like, we should you know figure out a rig for this rickshaw or something like that type of stuff. Uh, yeah, we do a lot of that kind of stuff, but also we arrive uh, on uh, we arrive on set uh, several days before shooting, and a lot of times that more detail oriented thing mm-hmm. happens, and that's where we do have the DP with us, and we do it a more of a tech scout. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That's yeah. great. I mean, all um, of this is built up to the idea that we sort of can create this world. We shoot 360 degrees. I mean, we don't mm-hmm. we don't want to shoot with too many. We shoot most of our material with two cameras because we don't want to shoot with too many cameras because we'll just end up shooting ourselves. Because mm-hmm. um, we go where Gordon and the contributor goes, and sometimes that's not where we expect. Right. Um, and our goal is to never stop them and just work with them. That right. that's that's when we're at our best. So, um, so we may go in there and say, okay, they're going to go into this general world and we'll start them against this mountain because it's a pretty background. And we may say, hey, Gordon, when you go into the scene, try and stay in that general area because otherwise you'll see the road mm-hmm. or something like that. But we really want to give loose parameters and just let them go. Mm-hmm. Let, l- free range filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. I feel like what I'm hearing and maybe the thing that Oren and I are the most jealous of is like on our kind of travel jobs like this it's all this preparation is what creates the opportunity to like make something that looks as good as your show does but also have that spontaneity you know Um, well i think i think that that for one thing picking the right locations is a lot of the battle mm -hmm. like everywhere we turned in indonesia was a b-roll shot like everywhere, we we could have shot we could have shot weeks of B roll there just because there were so many interesting faces and people and places and landscapes and everything like that. Um, you know, if you're in a desert or a snowy destination, it's not quite so much like that. Mm-hmm. But like you're you're never going to be at a loss for great drone shots if you're shooting in a place that doesn't have a lot of cityscape around it. You're just going to be able to play the play the coastline, play the countryside, that kind of thing. Yeah, as you can see, we use a lot of drone, a lot of transitional B-roll. We first season we dabbled with shooting like sort of B-roll that might match with shoot day in terms of you know cutaways or whatever it never works so we just really don't do that yeah i'm curious is do you have like a general strategy of what makes good b-roll like if you if you know you have 20 minutes in a city like what are the shots that you have to get well i think the key to getting good b-roll is diversity of imagery so in other words a lot of times someone will stay for 20 minutes in one place and shoot six different angles of it and that's a complete waste of time i want one or two good angles and then go somewhere else that is a nugget, John. That is so good. With B-roll, you really want to move through a lot of material and set it up and get a couple of good shots. But I don't need six different versions of this. Find me one one good one. I mean, it, this obviously it depends on the show and things. But like, should the camera do you ne- usually be pretty steady? Like, I know a lot of kind of newer filmmakers are trying to get B-roll and they're shoot they're pointing it everywhere and they're moving the camera and they're zooming in and they're just kind of. Going crazy with the camera. Well, I think that depends upon um, the show. 
And our show definitely is one where we like to have very crafted B-roll shots. Um, it's because it's, you know, they cut nicely with the drone shot. It's tough to go from an elegant drone shot to a shaky handheld shot. It just mm-hmm. doesn't really work. Um, it also, we use that that material for transitions mostly. So the handheld material, almost all of our scene work is done handheld. So any cutaway or anything in scene has to be handheld. Mm-hmm. You, it won't match otherwise. So... So, but so our sort of interstitial footage is all shot on sticks, and our and, and our in scene stuff is all shot on B roll. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, we oh. do shoot a certain number of food porn shots for the big cook at the end with mm-hmm. uh, with on sticks, just because there is a desire for everyone to really be able to register what sure. that dish was that they co- they cook. Sure. And do you use food stylists and kind of the normal way no. you shoot food? No. Uh, fortunately, the chefs we're working with both, you know. Gordon and the other chefs have are, are are experts at plating and can make them look gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So, right. well, on that front, actually, because um, you you said you've got like a, it sounds like a DP second operator AC drone op. Are you lighting much? Like how? Like no, no, it's, it's all a, natural. It, it's interesting you should say that because we we rarely shoot at night. Mm-hmm. When we do shoot at night, it's more using. Uh, IR or headlamp or things like that. Uh-huh. Um, we did a really cool scene in Alaska in season one with uh, uh, a <laughs> with a guy who was cook- cooking with seal, and that was at night in the cold. And you know, we we threw up a couple of lights for that. You know, we'll throw up a light now and then. Sometimes in a car, you'll mm-hmm. you'll need something to to hit the people's faces when we're doing driving stuff. But we don't do much lighting on the show at all. We shoot in daylight. It gets really challenging um, for Norway this year and Alaska the year before because you do get more interiors. So we mm-hmm. travel with a, a little bit of lighting, but it's a very very minor part about the show. And what kind of cameras are you guys shooting on? Uh, we shoot on Sony F55s um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, they're monsters in terms of size, but the image quality is uh, is, is pretty spectacular. Um, and I, we've talked about switching to a smaller uh, a smaller mm-hmm. body, um, but um, I don't know that that's going to happen right away. Um, it's interesting. We use a lot less GoPro and specialty than I do on a lot of other shows mm-hmm. simply because Gordon is the greatest special effect of all. I mean, he like you don't want things that call attention to the filmmakers. You want to feel like you're with him on this journey. One of the great things about the show uh, premiering on Sunday, June 7th is a lot of people have been locked up for a very long time and it gives them a chance to sort of vicariously travel through mm-hmm. Gordon. And I can't imagine... Uh, someone more fun to travel with. Trust me, as someone who travels with him, traveling with Gordon is pretty awesome. You eat in good places, mm-hmm. you meet cool people, and so I think it's really a, a a really cool thing for people to be able to do right now with the world that, in, uh, in the state that it is. Also, on a personal level, I was traveling for four months right before lockdown, so I've been enjoying my time at home. <laughs> sure. I feel very blessed that I, you know, that this didn't happen two months earlier or something like that. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it is the, 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 the vicarious travel through his eyes is important. So every time you cut to a GoPro, unless it's like a car POV or a Mm -hmm. snowmobile POV, it really kind of pulls you out. So like the body cams, uh, like we don't do those as much, you know, maybe if we're, he's repelling or something like that, it's just not a big part of our, of our show. 
And then you have, I'm assuming, Zoom, like kind of ENG-style Zoom lenses on. Yeah, we, we shoot with Zooms and Primes. All of our B-roll is shot with prim, with Primes, and sometimes we do scene work with Primes. Uh, but the bulk of the time, when because we have to follow them where they go, we're, we're on Zooms. And Matt, So Matt worked quite a bit for Ellen doing kind of travel jobs and things. So I know, Matt, you know a lot about this. I've done a little bit of unscripted things, but not a ton. And um i found like when i i had been on matt set I, you see the camera operators that really know how to shoot this stuff you don't really need to tell them anything but when you have gordon talking to someone what's is it usually cross coverage or do you usually try to do something um different in each scene i mean usually it's a version of cross coverage um but keep in mind we're not blocking them we're not stopping them it's it's the old uh what was it the story is is that uh Spencer Tracy was shooting a film back in the day and he the the he does a does a take of it and the DP says, you know, if you could just step a little bit to the right, you'll be right in the perfect light. And he looked at him and said, You follow me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So but I mean we we've actually uh we we've talked about this a lot and it's it's you know, Gordon's a pro and he'll do whatever's needed, but the fact is the scenes are just better if we're not stopping them. And we'll sacrifice uh, having perfect coverage sometimes so that we can just let the scene play out and, and cover it organically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's just it's a it's a choice that we have made that fortunately our network supports. Right. And and Gordon loves shooting that way. And it just makes the show feel less phony yeah it feels more alive too right yeah. like yeah you know, you, who cares if there's a shoulder in front of someone's face for a second or two your operator is going to fix that um do you ever do like a kind of like a insert pass or anything like that like after afterwards or are you guys just kind of like sniping off the you know things that gordon's picking up or pointing to or anything uh in the moment the goal is to always get everything in scene and if at the end of the scene we're, uh, yeah, and the producers watching on the monitor. It says, you know, we never got a cutaway of the knife. Then mm-hmm. we'll we'll pick something. We hate doing it. that stuff, sure, but yeah. you know, it's better than not having it. Right, right. Uh, look, they're they've gotten really good about getting all this stuff. You mm-hmm. know, it's just it when it's in the flow and it's, it's a tilt from his head or something like that. It's so much better than it, when it's an insert shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the the or in your point of like when operators are in sync and they kind of like they're tossing glances to each other and they can kind of like feel where the other guy is going to go it's it's a, it really is an incredible thing to watch right you know? or well, if two of them kind of are if they're facing each other and they start walking somewhere and now they're facing mm-hmm. the same direction you don't want it both cameras getting the same shot i've worked with a lot of kind of rookie camera people <laughs> and we you end up having that all the time it's like yeah. you guys have the same shot that's where our director comes into play and neil is watching all all the, the angles on his monitor and is is quietly radioing into them when they need to adjust and making mm-hmm. sure we can do that. the The goal is never to have anyone walk on set saying, "Wait, hold!" We don't do any of that stuff. We keep we keep going. We are a momentum show. Yeah, yeah. As a producer, obviously, you're also overseeing the edit. Is that true? Yes, that's true. And how much of like what the how much crafting like how different is the edit from what you guys shot? Is that is that another new phase of kind of reinventing the story? Not really at all. Not much less so than most other shows that I've done. Um, we're basically taking scenes and cutting them down. You know, I'm not saying they aren't crafted really well by our editors, but we're we're not adding artifice to it. We're just taking the best parts about the scenes mm-hmm. and making them work. And, and you know, frequently, if Gordon's enjoying a contributor, um, there's a, there's a great scene in Hawaii where he's with sort of the this this guy who makes poi. 
Mm-hmm. And and the guy was just fantastic, and he had this laugh that sounded like a pirate. And that scene went on for like an hour. They were just having so much fun together. And um, we had to cut it down to you know eight minutes or something sure. like that. And so that's where it gets really tough is there's so much great material for it. And so we try to add that extra stuff on sort of to digital content and things like that so mm-hmm. that we could you could see it on Nat Geo's site, that sort of thing. Or or Gordon shoots a lot of stuff for his his uh, social media streams as well. Yeah. And is there so like a lot of the shows you've worked in the past, even like an amazing race or something, which is a travel show as well, but it seems really rooted in drama, you know, like of the the competition and the relationships between the people and can they work together or not work together. It's less adventure oriented than Uncharted. Yeah. Race has a whole comp, uh, two levels of conflict thing going on, conflict between teams and within teams. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's sort of the dramatic material that drives that show. Um, our show, our ticking clock is a big part about it. At the end of the week, he's going to be cooking this big meal and he has to learn about this country and these people and these ingredients and figure out what he's going to do during, you know, that time. So that's what really drives us. Um, and, and once we're in a scene, like we're rushing to get to scenes, but once we're in a scene, we really like to let it breathe and to let it feel not rushed and not just get to the part about the ingredient, but just really let it play, you know? And so where do you find, cause you know, I think we think of Gordon Ramsay and think of like kitchen nightmares or think of the times where he is basically telling people what they're doing wrong and trying to help them find the right way to do it. This seems a lot more of like a show where he's taking in, you know, educating himself about other cultures. How do you find the conflict or the drama uh, in Uncharted? Or is that not... Really no, G- Gordon was making shows back in the early in the early zeros uh, in the UK, in which he was more of a traveling explorer. And so the purpose with this show was really to channel that kind of energy. And he is very clear that he wants the he wants the chefs and the contributors to bust his balls and to push him to do more and to push him to explore and to and he's he is just fine with being you know the butt of some offhand comments f- from them which you will see throughout the show um and uh it usually it's the other chef that's doing that but sometimes it's other contributors in in Guyana, we have an episode where we've got an Amerindian guy who takes him fishing, and um, Gordon keeps thinking he caught a bigger fish than this guy, but the other guy is just adamant that he caught a bigger fish, and he's just not backing down because he's Gordon Ramsay. He's just he, he's he's just insisting he's got it. So we need people who will get. Well, we need people who will, who will give it back to him, and when we have people who are just. You know, we avoid people who are uh, enamored with him as a celebrity because that, the scenes will just die because they'll just be like, oh, Gordon <laughs> Ramsay. So, so we, we'd much rather have people who don't know who he is or who know who he is but just don't care, you know. Right. Um, in our New Zealand episode, Monique Fisa, the young chef that was on that show, was just giving him the business constantly. And he loved it. He's just like, oh, you're so feisty, you know. And 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 uh, um, and she is someone with her first restaurant was just opening. Like she was a chef with the most to gain, and mm-hmm. you, you know, from him by if she was going to kiss ass, and she didn't at all. So of course he's gone out of his way to to make people know about her and stuff like that. So it's so I think that we're kind of the antithesis of a lot of the other shows that he does, and mm-hmm. it's 
I think his experience of shooting our show is different as well because these other shows that have hundreds of people on them, we have our our t small little unit. You know, we may not have as many people handling handing him, a, you know, water when he wants it, but that's not what he's like anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah, he doesn't drink water. He only drinks Perrier. <laughs> um, well, I know we we don't have that much time left with you, but I'd like love to shift gears for a second um, away from Un Uncharted into Professor Kroll and the things that you you. Um, talk about in your class because i think our listeners will hear about uncharted and they'll be like wow i hope i could get to a place like that where i have the four best producers and directors in the world traveling everywhere with me um but if we can rewind a little bit for the people that are just trying they have this great idea for an unscripted show for a travel show or whatever what are the kind of things they should keep in mind when they're trying to pitch them um put an idea together yeah. put an idea together and something that we had just talked about in the past episode was about shooting proofs of concept like kind of showing people before you have a track record what your voice is what 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 the things you care about are and and how to do it in a cinematic way well you're on the right track Oren. but the truth is and there are people who hate me when i say this but you'll just have to forgive <laughs> me but particularly in the unscripted world nobody gives a shit about you or your ideas they want to know what you control and what you own. Mm -hmm. So if you find a great bounty hunter that's different than Dog the Bounty Hunter because he, you know, because he's uh, uh, he has right. Right. Uh, eight sets of twins or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or you know, I know a bounty hunter with eight sets of twins <laughs> is different than like we should find a bounty hunter. No, That'd be and, a good idea for a show. Which right. is right. which is yeah. different than yeah. I have found a bounty hunter with eight sets of twins, and I have secured him with a holding agreement. Yeah, there you That's go. That's what you right. want. Well, like a Joe Exotic is probably a good example, right? It's like, yeah, who yeah. knew that this type of person even existed? Yeah, but you've got to find the Joe Exotics of the world and tie them to a legal document, and then you shoot incredible tape with them that's well-crafted that conveys your vision for the show. Before you've asked anyone for money. And it's so hard because when people come to me, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, it might be a PA from the show saying, I have this great idea. Usually, the first thing I'll think of is the 10 other versions of that idea that, that they don't know never made it to air because the, they made a pilot but never made the series or whatever. But it's just nobody wants to buy ideas from people without experience. They'll buy an idea from me because I have the proven ability to execute it. But right. when you are getting started with your career, the first person you need to get on your team is a pro bono lawyer who will draft a holding agreement for you that will allow you to hold talent. And because even if you don't shoot tape, you can come to me with your bounty hunter with six six sets of twins and say, John, I don't have any money because I spent a thousand dollars getting my lawyer to do this agreement with this bounty hunter. Will you get into business with me on this on, on this deal with the and, and, and put together a sizzle reel and do all this stuff? And I'll you know, if, if I think the guy's great and we've got a little iPhone footage just of the from your Zoom with him or something. That's the kind of show that I get involved with with young producers all the time. The second mistake they make is they think it's going to that we're going to be equal partners, and that's not <laughs> the way those things work typically. Oh, okay, so tell us how does it split? It's all over the map, and everyone has their own version of it. It depends upon whether there's competitive interest, and it depends on. But typically, you want to make a walkaway deal. You want to make that you're going to make X thousand dollars an episode with no services required. And, and you're going to say, no, no, but I want to work on the show. 
And I'll say, okay, well, you're going to make that same amount of money and you're going to work on the show. But the truth is, is as a young you're, producer without quotes, experience. saying work on the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sorry. I, I did air quotes there. <laughs> I, the, the truth is, as a young producer without experience, if you can't fulfill a budgeted position on that show, there's no there's no need for extra producers in the unscripted world, you know? Mm. Nobody wants an additional set of notes, least of all from someone who's never made a show on this level, you know? So you, what you want to do is get in the business where you can sell your project, then stay involved by learning on the job from it, and while you're doing that, be developing and selling other projects, you know? Mm-hmm. Or... Now, a lot of times people will bring me projects who are like supervising producers and they're ready to become showrunners, you know? So that's a different category. Those people want to run their first show. So you usually make a deal with them saying, you'll make this much and you'll make this much if you are approved by the network as the showrunner. So that's a two-tiered thing. But when someone has very little onset experience and doesn't have the ability to execute, it's very difficult to find a role for them that that uh, uh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And other people make deals with people and bullshit them about this. And I'm just honest about it. And sometimes people get angry with me about it. And I'm sorry. I'm honest with no, my this students. Is, you... This is awesome. This is no, like this the... is like the gold of what so our good. podcast is. <laughs> well, and what's funny is I was on another uh, excellent podcast, uh, the Joe and Biagio one. Have you guys heard that one? I don't uh, think so. Actually, uh, producing unscripted, it's called. It's oh, a really interesting. It's a, oh, cool! Oh, I, I check that out. I, I know. I know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not to the unsolicited uh, endorsements uh, portion yeah. of your show yet, but we'll get there. But yeah, yeah okay, awesome. the, they've been doing it forever. It's a couple that make unscripted shows. They do a lot of crime shows, and I went on their show and said this, and they're like. That's what we always tell people. and you know, Everyone thinks that they're going to start at the bottom, an executive producer or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking for young, inexperienced producing partners. I'm looking for fresh content, though. Uh-huh. So a more concise way of saying it is, is people don't want to, at your early in your career, uh, pay you for who you are but what you own. Mm-hmm. Right. So that what about like sense. a show? It's fun. This whole time you've been talking, I've been racking my brain for a show that is not based on having someone's, you know, the rights. Life rights. Yeah. 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 Or like, yeah. Or, or personality. Or, but what yeah. if, you, so what if you have an idea like that show, Love is Blind? You know, we're going to yeah, take. The, the ver- versions of Love is Blind were pitched for years before. It took the right people coming in and pitching that mm-hmm. at the right time to do it. It's just there is no win to having that kind of idea in my in my view. Interesting. Even when I was I was the uh, EVP of original programming for New Line Cinema's TV division, New Line Television, <laughs> and so we we got into business with one young producer on an idea like that, and this producer kept trying to like be be the man all the time, and we're just like. Look, we bought your idea, but you've never been higher than a segment producer on a show. Like you're not running this thing, okay? And and it's just idea based stuff just doesn't have uh, it is just not a good direction for people to pursue. It's better to find people on camera talent that you think would make a, a a an incredible show. And the bar is really really high. Now the other good thing about that is is that if you find that on camera talent you're going to develop a relationship with them and that makes you more important to the show because you become the talent whisperer. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing pitbulls and parolees and you have a, a, a relationship with Tia, you're obviously quite valuable because you can 
communicate with her and when she's pissed you can help talk her down you know if she, you can kind of talk to her about things that might be uh, uh sensitive or a little mm-hmm. bit you know less comfortable for other people to talk to her about so that's the kind of that's the best way that i can tell young producers and it's what i tell my students how to find their way in and with that show did you find tia or is that some someone brought uh, her to no i got, i got involved in season three of that show so it, that it was well on its way what you're kind of outlining the the career that you're talking about isn't uh something that we talk about a ton on the show i think like a lot of the other filmmakers that we talk to are like i wrote a screenplay and then i pitched it and we sold it now it's a tv show you know and so um everything that you're outlining i think is really exciting i'm wondering if there's a listener at home who's like young and like still kind of thinking about like what path they want to take and they're like i want to be an adventure director or an unscripted producer it doesn't sound to me like you know getting a degree in screenwriting is going to help you at all what are the sort of things that you should be studying and learning and how can you prepare yourself for a career like yours basically um great question and I think that more than the scripted world, the value of hard work is something that is uh, a, a part of the unscripted business. So you've got to get on a set and just start working. And you can move up very fast, much faster than scripted in the unscripted world if you get it. You guys know, you know how it is. People either get it or they don't. Sure. And when we see in the unscripted world that someone gets it, we'll move them from a PA to be an associate producer, to being a segment producer, to being a producer in a matter of a year or two. You know, it'll happen really, really fast. So I think that it's um, – for nobody wants people in the unscripted business who don't watch unscripted shows. Don't go to an interview and say, I mostly I watch, I, you know, I watch HBO. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't get you anywhere. Does coming from a doc, like let's say you watch like Cheer and you watch Making a Murder or you watch – That's great. Absolutely related. Those shows are – look, I don't know that there's such thing as a pure documentary anymore. I mean all these shows have their produ- have producers' hands on them to some extent or another. You know, um, it, 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 So I think that, uh, that that is a great background to come into it for certain kinds of shows. You're probably not going to do Wipeout, you right. know, coming from a show like that. But, you know, someone from Uncharted, like we have uh, a terrific uh, producer out of the UK, uh, uh, Laura Balfour, a supervising producer, who's, who was with both seasons one and two. And she comes from doing real pure, uh, um, you know, authentic doc style shooting. Mm-hmm. And she adapted herself well to this. Um, even though we are a show that's a little bit more sort of structured in terms of how we have to set the stuff up a little bit for, and mainly that's for safety reasons. So she came, she was perfect for our show. So I think you have to just, whatever you come from, if you come from a scripted world, well, you might be great for a Bravo show where they really Mm -hmm. like to to sculpt the storylines a lot more and that kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so I think that uh, um, uh, it just you should gravitate towards the area that you have an interest in. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, your listeners should gravitate towards this area. The unscripted world is a thousand times better than the scripted world. The scripted <laughs> world is where hopes and dreams go to die and good men and women die <laughs> like dogs. Well, um, uh, I would encourage people to check out John's Instagram if you want a sense <laughs> of the adventures that he is having. It's pretty enviable. It's pretty dope. Real quick, though, when you were saying we all know, like, oh, we get it. We, we can tell when someone gets it, we get that they get it. I want you to describe to me just a couple bullet points of, like, how you would describe a person who gets it. 
Yeah, I think a, a, a dear friend of mine who is an integral part of the Game of Thrones operation, so she clearly knew what she was doing she better than it. I was. Yeah. Um, she once said that she evaluated people based on their ability to know the difference between what was important and what isn't. And so, like, a lot of people bring their personal drama to the set and try to make it about them, even at a low level. Those people are instantly gone. Like, you, you need to, when, especially when you're at a lower level, you need to serve the show and serve the people at higher levels. When I say serve, I don't mean serve. I just mean you need to do things to support that effort and know that it's not about you. Mm -hmm. And so once you see that people... Like suddenly things are getting done without you even noticing it and you find out it's that person doing it. Clearly this is someone who is rolling up their sleeves, getting their work done and not saying, hey, look, see this thing that I did? I did this thing. Didn't I do that well? Like you need to not be looking for approval all the time. You need to be just doing your shit and having and that Anticipating be, needs. Right? It, it, anticipating needs. That's a great idea. Yeah, and, and some of it is is you know it when you see it. Like it's really tough to really articulate everything about what it takes to for someone who gets it. But, so, you know, the people who get it know they get it. I have a former assistant, uh, uh, Alana Wagner, who w did her first show with me. She was uh, she was my assistant on the set of a show I did for, for BBC and Lifetime. And she... You could tell just by how she talked on the radio. It's like she had been doing it her whole life. And she's now the supervising producer of Siesta Key and has gone on to great things. And it's like she got it. She clearly got it and moved her way up through the ranks rapidly because of that. And I think it's just some of it's like, you know, it's like scoring a touchdown. Act like you've been there before, you know, <laughs> sure. like mm -hmm. just just you can't be like we're on location. I'm so excited to be in showbiz, you know, yeah. it's. <laughs> It, right. it's, that's not to say that you can't be enthusiastic and have a good attitude, but I think that, that the, the wide-eyed thing uh, a little goes a long way, you know? Yeah, and I think what you just touched on about the people that are bringing their own issues to set, like I think a lot of them don't even realize it, but it's to me that's like the person that's like, sorry, my alarm didn't go off, and you know I had yeah. a really long night last night, and then you hear they were out at the drinking with some friends, you know? Sure, yeah. Which is like, it's fine. You do whatever you want to do with your life, but that's like not what the type of personality that is going to kind of move ahead here, you know? Yeah. yeah it's it, the other thing is, is like, don't be an asshole. Like, I know that seems really simple, but there are so many people who I have not hired because they, they kissed my ass, but other people said, Oh God, that person was miserable mm -hmm. to work with. Yeah. And they were, and they wouldn't. And I always respect people who own up to their mistakes as opposed to try and blame others, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like, I, I whenever someone is trying to dodge the blame and 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 throw someone else under the bus, I'm now if someone's fucking up all the time, I can't help them. But <laughs> if someone if there's a really really bad fuck up, it takes more responsibility than they should. Say I'm really sorry I did this. Then I'm going to start saying okay, but that can't be the only thing. What else contributed to this? Like that person's supervisor should have known about this too. <laughs> I, instead of saying oh god that person's horrible, I never want to work with them. I start looking at okay, we've defined this. What else happened here? How did we get here? Yeah. You know, yeah, um, and and that's how you get better because. I love when people make mistakes and learn from them and we can grow together, you know, um, because it would be great to have the A plus crew all the time and have the A team with you always. But the good people keep moving up. So you have to keep finding other people that you can elevate. 
And that's much more so true in the unscripted world where people move up much more quickly. Yeah, that that's awesome advice. And I think just like a side note of something I've been thinking about for years is kind of what you said in terms of it's hard to just sell your show as sell a show as your first job in in that world. And what we talked about scripted, but if you even look at scripted TV, like people that have written amazing pilots, they usually don't sell them. You see all these sales are coming from people that were on a writing staff, you know, for five years. You have to know how to make a TV show before someone buys a TV show from you. Well, on the writing side, the thing that drives me crazy is the person who spends five years on a script and spends the next five years peddling it. It's like you should have done... 50 scripts in those five years, you know, and because the first 40 sucked. We all know how that works, you know? Yeah. Quantity equals quality eventually, right? Well, well, and writing is rewriting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we all know those mantras. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, John, this is really so good. Uh, illuminating. So and we will definitely check out Uncharted on Nat Geo on Sunday, June 7th. But before we lose you, do you mind joining us for some unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. I would love to give you some unpaid endorsements. I have I have two for you. I was very excited about this segment. Oh, good. Awesome. I think it's yeah. One's a little bit older, and it applies to what we've been talking about with this notion of how one tweet can destroy your career. Anyone who has not read John Ronson's uh, "So You've Been Publicly Shamed" should immediately download it, get it, read it. It's a fantastic read about that world and the two-edged sword that is social media. Mm. Um, so that's a great read. And um, I know your your uh, your your followers like a, things out of a more technical nature. I'm really into the moment lenses now. So the moment lenses are made for um, for your iPhone, and they they have uh, um, they have a special case that you get for it. I'm showing this on the video for mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone sees this, but you. Oh, yeah. So it's just a case which is thirty bucks or something like that. But it you can attach lenses to it. Is it and, magnetic? Uh, no, it's twi- it twists in, okay. and uh, I have the telephoto, and a friend of mine has the macro, but the one that I'm in love with is they have an anamorphic lens for your mm-hmm. iPhone, and yeah. it looks phenomenal. It's pretty cool. It's pretty so cool. that's that's my trick, and so the I think the anamorphic, le- anamorphic lens was $150, and the optics were shockingly good for something like that. It's a, it's a great sort of system to play with in this day and age when we're shooting more and more with our phones. Two solid ones. My wife and I started watching Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, on Netflix, and it's Ooh boy. quite, <laughs> quite crazy. Uh, worth checking out, I think. Um, yeah, I just, I guess, I had no idea who he was really before, you know, recent yeah. events. Um, and I thought that's kind of interesting. And the other thing, totally unrelated to filmmaking, but more related to this week that we're recording this. We're recording this today on. June 5th, it's the last day of a week, an interesting week in America. There's been a lot of protests and a lot of self-reflection, I think, especially like among Caucasian people. And, you know, everyone's kind of trying to figure out like what they can do or not do. It's something that I'm trying to actively do, and I guess I would encourage other people to do if they feel comfortable, is I've been um, like calling out like family members that tweet or say things that are like, kind of subtly racist (laughs) and I've always kind of you know if it was my parents or something I would say something but now I'm kind of expanding that net a little bit you know people are talking about it's not just not being racist it's being anti-racist that is helpful and I I'm finding um that 
it makes a difference that people sometimes that you don't think would listen to you or that you just assume, oh, they mm-hmm. support some a different politician or they are have a, on a different side of the spectrum. They're not going to listen to me. Like, let's just agree to disagree. But I'm finding that, like, you don't always have to agree to disagree as long as you're nice and you kind of come in and try to understand their perspective. Sometimes you can make a difference in, in showing people your, your side of the perspective, too. And it doesn't always have to be black and white or you're right and I'm wrong. But uh, but yeah, so I don't know. I've just been doing that a lot. And I have a lot of family all over the world and where people are probably less sensitive about how they speak about other people. <laughs> and, you know, we're in various WhatsApp groups. And I find that just this week, I'm just like saying like, you know, I, in, th- in times that I usually would not say anything, I am saying things. And I don't know, I, I feel like I think it's a good thing. And it's kind of making me feel you know, stronger about what I think. So I don't know, kind of a random unpaid endorsement, but yeah. I, I do feel like this week, especially at the end of this week, it, it, it's I good to be thoughtful. To yeah. Anyhow, well, Matt. I think actually my endorsement is going to bring us full circle. I think this actually maybe thematically works well for everything. The moment lenses are, I think we have to leave out, but, but anyway, do you guys remember um, the song Friday by Rebe- Rebecca Black? Yeah, right. From like Friday. years ago, right? So uh, there's this podcast called Decoder Ring that I've talked about before. It's a Slate podcast. But they basically, um, they'll kind of take a, a cultural moment or something of significance and kind of get to the bottom of like why it became a thing, basically. And they've got a, their newest episode is on that song, Friday, by Rebe- Rebecca Black. And it does a really fascinating job of kind of digging in on the fact that it kind of represents a shift in culture online and that, uh, you know, it kind of unpacks the way people became famous online before and then after her and also the way that we treat each other online. Like, it, like she was a 13-year-old girl that we all loved to make fun of. Like, Jimmy right. Fallon made fun of a little girl on television because she sang, like, a kind of bad song, but not even that bad, really. She did go on his show not long after. Sure. That's true. That's true. And Which well, and, and, cool. and unpacking that, like, what does a child do? Like, she did want to be famous on some level, right? So I think she's on the show. It's really fascinating. And so I think it kind of, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm a fan of the podcast in general. But this episode in particular just, like, felt very appropriate for everything that's going on and also kind of, like, hit at a, a bunch of different levels. That was really fascinating. So... Yeah, um, decoder ring <laughs> friday yeah who knew duly noted well john thanks so much for your, your time and for coming on the show and for uh congrats on uncharted and uh congrats on finishing it in time for a pandemic yeah yeah well we've we've already been picked up for season three so we're already planning how we're going to shoot under pandemic conditions so that's going to be a new adventure for us to talk about next year when we launch season three oh, yeah what if what if season three is like uh like we're going to be inside of a sit-down restaurant. Um, <laughs> well, you know. the most I mean, dangerous place on the planet—a small the, restaurant. That's the, packed. No, the, well, the interesting thing is, is that Uncharted is uniquely suited to be done under these conditions because we go to places where there aren't very many people oh, with sure. very few people. So sure. I'm hopeful that's going to lead to us getting out on the road pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, John, where can people learn more about uh, you and keep track of you and make sure that they're uh, aware of? your adventures for both Uncharted and everything else. I'm 
most want people to watch Uncharted because I don't uh, I don't relish in the 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 uh, front of camera charm, but I have become close with many of my Instagram followers because I like to send out behind the scenes photos that I shoot during the shooting on Ooh, at my awesome. Instagram, which is at John J O N F Kroll K R O L L. Um, and uh, I would love to see you there. I communicate with people who are on there. I've sort of stopped using Twitter uh, as much, but I'm at Hippie Kid, H-I-P-P-Y-K-I-D. Perfect. Awesome. And that's, Instagram and is that's, awesome. And that's another story. <laughs> uh, let me guess. You were a hippie kid. <laughs> I was I was raised on a Northern California commune without tele- television or electricity. Uh, that was in your bio. And we didn't even touch on it. We'll have to have you back on. John, I'm looking at a picture here on your Instagram, and there's three cameras from Uncharted. <laughs> this whole interview. <laughs> they have I, an extra just in case. Uh, okay. We sometimes shoot a, we sometimes shoot a third camera. It's, true. I, it's yeah, a yeah, BTS yeah. camera. Look, it's nice to have a, a wide. I'm just kidding. No, your, your Instagram is awesome. Yeah, the, the Instagram is legitimately awesome. Um, app is ours, which you can find at Just Shoot It Pod, and you can learn about all the things that we talked about at JustShootItPod.com. I'm at Mr. Matt I'm at O'Kaplan on Instagram, and you can email us at JustShootItPod at gmail.com and let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any questions for John. We'll pass them on for you. If you want to pitch him an idea, do not do it. <laughs> uh, I, I am I am subscribing to Just Shoot It Pod right now. There you go. Fo- fo- following, and I urge all of your listeners to do the same. Oh, hey, thanks thank so you. much, John. Perfect. Uh, well, our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye.